Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series, Progress and Joy, a study on Philippians. For more information about CBC or how you can get plugged in, visit our website, cbcsavannah.com. We are in Philippians chapter 4, and we're kind of headed toward the finish line, almost done this little epistle. Uh, If you're new, you're visiting, just kind of recap where we've been. The Apostle Paul, it's about 60, 62 AD in that time frame. He has been a Christian for about 30 years, and he planted many a church. He wrote many a letter, um, and he wrote specifically to this church in Philippi to a church that he loved. They, They were dear to his heart. He loved them. He knew them well. He, remember, he was in Philippi. There was no synagogue, so he goes down to the river. There's a couple ladies doing a Bethmore Bible study. He preaches the gospel. Uh, God opens the heart of a woman named Lydia. Then she gets saved. She opens her house. The church meets there. You have a slave girl who has this bad past. You have this ex-military GI guy and his family. They're all part of the church, right? And, and just God uses it, and they grow, they're a very generous and loving church. They send a guy named Epaphroditus up to Paul when he's in prison to provide for him, to give him money, to give him food, maybe to even work daily just to provide needs for Paul. So they loved him. He loved them. And he writes them back. He just said, hey, I am thankful. I am good. If I live fruitful ministry, if I die, I get to be with Jesus. You guys are so concerned about me. I just love y'all. I want you to grow. I want to see your progress in the faith. I want to see your joy And that's what we've been talking about. And we've talked about humility. We've talked about stop being a bunch of grumblers and complainers. We talked about guarding ourselves against legalism. Last week we looked at maturity and how that, what that looks like, where we realize we haven't arrived and that we're we're still actively pursuing and we're not complacent. We get we watch good examples and we long for the day and return of Christ. And so, kind of working through that deal. And we come to a portion today. It's a great passage. It's actually shocking, if you've read ahead. It's a, it is a shocking passage that we come to, because Paul's going to do something that he, doesn't, he rarely does. When I was in seminary, um, one of the profs' name was Mark Young. He has gone on to be the president of Denver Seminary now. He was a pastor of missions, just passionate about missions. I mean, planted a, or started a uh, seminary in Poland. I mean, he was on the field his whole life, and he is teaching Intro to world missions. I mean, that's kind of his bread and butter. And it's a three-hour class, and in the middle is always just like five, ten-minute break. You know, they, they give you some time to stretch your legs. So he's preaching his guts out about missions, and everyone's kind of there. And come back from the break, he's real stern. And he stands up in the front, he says, the men in the back who are playing cards, please stand up. Because what they didn't know, not cards like dishing it out. Hey, who's got the jacks? Not like on on the computer cards. Um, They didn't know that there was a camera in the back. They're filming this class for the web. And the guy behind the camera had gone to Professor Young and said, you got to tell the, he didn't want to be a tattletale, but you got to turn these guys to stop playing cards on the computer because you can see it in the video. And so he has these boys stand up in the back and he just shreds them in front of everybody, right? And it's not 18-year-olds. It's like the future pastors of America, right? So uh, <laughs> fortunately, yours truly was not involved in that situation, although I did have a minor in spider solitaire in seminary. <laughs> but it, that was one of those, ooh, 
those Southwest moments. Want to get away? That's what that was, right? Want to get away? We come to the text today, and it's one of those want to get away moments. It really is. Because Paul, in essence, is going to look at two people in this church and, and say, y'all stand up. I'll talk to y'all in front of everybody. And it's not that Paul doesn't name people in other places. He always names people. But rarely does he do so like this. Right? And, and, and he does so because Paul sees something going on that, that it's a threat to the church. It's a very real threat. And we've seen Paul warn before. He's warned against legalism. He's talked about our opponents. He said that there's enemies of the cross in our midst. And so he's always warning. And now he is going to hit a very real and present threat, very common threat in the church. His old Pogo comic strip, it's famous. It says, we have seen the enemy and he is us. And that's what he's going to deal with today. He's going to deal with the threat of me and you, right? Because Scripture has called us to be one. It's called us to be unified. Jesus prayed for it. The Scripture affirms it time and time again. But what's the problem? We're not. There's church split. There's all these issues. People mad. What's the problem? The enemy is sometimes us. Right? Conflict. You hear about it all the time. And so Paul is going to, to deal with this threat so that this church will be unified. We are called to be unified. We're not called to be uniform. And this is the kind of language we use so that you understand. We are called to be unified but not uniform. Uniform is easy. Everyone looks the same, acts the same, does the same things, likes the same things. And if they don't, you kick them out. That's easy. And the problem with uniformity is it feels like unity, but it's not. It just feels like unity because everyone's the same. But it's not real unity. To have real unity, you must have diversity where people are all different, but yet they're on the same page going in the same direction. And that is hard. And one of the most common attacks of the enemy in the church is to attack from the inside. Just read the book of Acts. It happens time and time and time and time again. Trying to divide from within. Read the Old Testament. He's constantly trying to divide the people of Israel from within. Whether it's Nehemiah building the wall. Whether it's attacking Moses and the leadership. All those things. And so you have to recognize we, that this is, this is going to be an attack. This is going to be an issue. And I'm so thankful that he puts it in here. Because we have this romanticized view of the church sometimes. Like everything was perfect in the early church. No, there are a bunch of idiots like us sometimes. That's great. And what you need to understand is the people he is going to address today, they are not, they're not just some, you know, uh, some nobodies in the church. These are studs. They are leaders. They've been in the thick of it, right? And they are now a threat to the church. And, and it's a great reminder for us that the, the greatest threat to us as a church is not necessarily heresy or false teaching or persecution. The greatest threat to us as a church can be the very people sitting in this room right now and standing on the stage, right? And so we're going to talk about it. How do we deal with that? How do we deal with conflict in our midst, in our lives, in our, in our relationships. Anyone have conflict? Ever? There we go. I got some honest people up front. Any, anybody need to stand up and repent right now because you were in a fight in the car on the way here? Nobody? Liars. There, I see that hand. Thank you very much, righteous person in the balcony. That's all right. 
your sins are forgiven you. Go home. <laughs> Conflict is part of the deal. So how do we deal with it? That's what we're going to look at as we talk to you about Paul. All right? And, and, and here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read our text. It's just two verses. Cake. Just because it's two verses, you're not getting out early. Don't think that. But there's just two verses. Um, and I'm going to read it. And what I want you to do is I want you to imagine you are in Philippi. We've done this before, right? The first time this letter is written, is read. All right? And remember, this is a real letter. They're excited. They get this letter. They read through it. Everyone's sitting in the house and just listening. And, and, and they've just listened to chapter 2 and the humility of Christ. And now chapter 3 and legalism. And they're, they're all still excited and they're listening. I want you to put yourself in that room when the guy who's reading sees what's coming next. And he's like, pauses. A little sweaty. Looks up. Come on. Keep reading. <clears throat> Clears his throat a little bit. Um, here's what he says. I entreat Yodia. I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Imagine you're sitting there and he's just stand firm and he's saying all these great things and then he says, hey, Yodia, Syntyche, knock it off. That's in essence what he's doing. How would you feel if you were one of those ladies? How would you feel if you're sitting next to one of those ladies and you're like, awkward. <laughs> I mean, think about that. I mean, what, I think this is a practice the church should still do, actually. I think it would be very healthy. All right? I'd be like, Cain, Ethan, will you guys stop it? I mean, call people out. It's, that should be good. Right? Like, imagine how they felt. But what, why in the world would Paul do this? The, the why is pretty easy because he loves them, because he cares for them, because he sees the threat and the danger of disunity. What's going on, we don't really know. And commentators are pretty honest and say, we don't know what the issue was. But here's what we do know. It's big enough that the Apostle Paul feels like he needs to talk about it. It's been going on long enough that Epaphroditus reports to him after a journey to Rome of 800 miles. And however long he's been there for however many months. And then he's going to come back and bring it again. It's been going on for a long time. This is not some little deal. And it's big enough that everybody in the church, as soon as he mentions it, knows exactly what they're talking about. We do know those things, right? We do know that. And, and, I'm, and I'm thankful we don't know exactly what it is because it helps us to better apply it. Because if we knew specifically, we'd probably be like, oh, that's not going to relate to us. Because it's general, it does relate. Because it's really easy for us to say, well, it's just a bunch of ladies fighting. You know, they don't like the casseroles or something like that. It's just a bunch of ladies. It, it's not that. These are not two rookies. These are spiritual, mature rock stars in the early church. I mean, look what Paul says. He says, these are ladies, these are women who have labored, some versions say contended, side by side with him. They were on the front lines of church planning. Who knows? They might have been those ladies down by the river. 
Who knows what they were doing? But they are working side by side with the Apostle Paul. He calls them a fellow worker. They are mature. They are studs. Right? This is not some rookie. And by the way, this just affirms, if nothing else, the vital role that women play in the life of the church. They played a huge role in this early church. This very church, two-thirds of the congregation to start off were ladies. Lydia, the slave girl, not to mention the jailer and his family and how many ladies were there. I mean, how critical were the role of women in, in Jesus' ministry? Who were the first people to get to see the risen Savior? Not Peter, the ladies. Who was often providing and, and serving and behind the scenes? It was the ladies, and so understand the value of women in ministry. There's only two things really in the scripture that women are forbidden to do in the context of the local church. Can't be elders. Can't preach and teach over men. Those are the, those are the only two things. They were a vital role. And what I, what I want you to see most importantly is these two women, whoever they were, they had gone from being hugely vital in the early church to the very threat to the church. Just like that. And that shows that that could be me, that could be you, right? We've seen the enemy, and he is us. And so here's the thing about conflict. We joked about earlier, conflict is normal. It just is, right? It's, it's, It's normal, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. Right Now, it's a bad thing if you go looking for it, but conflict by itself, it's going to happen. A healthy family, a healthy church is not defined by the absence of conflict. It's the way we work through the conflict. Because what we tend to do, especially in church, is we tend to ignore it. Somebody says something, someone does something, hurts our feelings, we don't say anything, we just kind of, you know, we stuff it inside until, you know, we just... We become this boiling pot, just bitter. Or we just flee from it, right? Because we don't like it. Hey, I personally hate conflict. Hate it. I mean, we did this, you know, strength finding, personality finding thing as a staff. Find out how much of a loser I am. And, and, and so, and on our staff, there is two guys in the kind of conflict category, we are on like the low, like subtle, like we hate conflict, we run away. Me and Davis, where Davis at? Come on, baby. Short people rule. All right. We're kind. On this, this is the loving side, me and Davis. Now, go figure. On the I don't like people, I like fighting side, Rad and Kane. Okay? That's all I call it. That's not how the test says it, but that's what we say it is. It's the it's the assertive. I'm assertive in conflict, right? It's just, I don't like conflict. I don't do well with it. But you know what? We need to learn. I need to learn. Because not all conflict is bad. It is an opportunity to grow. Is it an opportunity to be unified and to be one? To be a family. And so Paul is going to give us four things just in this text. Four things real quick. How do we deal with, how do we pursue unity? How do we deal with conflict in our midst? And it's way beyond just church, y'all. This is, this is brothers, this is roommates, this is spouses, this is employees. These things transcend just this context, although this context is the local church. Here's the first thing. Resolving conflict is, the, is first the job of those involved. I worded that wrong, but it's the first, those involved in the conflict, they're the ones that need to deal with the conflict, 
first. And here, here's where I get that. Verse 2, I entreat Iodia, and I entreat Syntyche. And, and some of your translations, unfortunately, summarize this. It just says, I entreat Iodia and Syntyche. In the original language, he specifically uses the verb twice, as if he's saying, hey, Iodia, I plead with you. And hey, Syntyche, I am pleading with you. He goes to both. He doesn't say which one's guilty, which one's more guilty. He doesn't take sides. He says, it is your job, Yodia. It is your job, Syntyche, for you guys to get together on this deal. He's speaking to both of them directly, right? Because here's what happens. And it happened then, I'm sure, and it happens today. Yodia gets together with a little bestie friend. They go get coffee. And you wouldn't believe what Syntyche said to me. I can't believe she did that. Well, I can't believe she did that either. We ought to do something. Yeah, you're right. Well, I'm just, no, don't tell anybody. Oh, I'm not going to tell anybody, I promise. All right, yeah, well, just, we'll just go. And so then and her little friend goes off the community group, and, well, I, she asked me not to share, but I think she would want me to pray with you guys about this. <laughs> that Syntyche is a jerk, and Iodia is hurting very badly. And here's what she did. Blah, 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 blah. And then one person over here says, wait, 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 wait. But I think that Syntyche's right on this thing. Well, how can you say that? How can you say that Syntyche's right when not you? And now you have a split. And this person's over here talking about this, and they're all. Oh. And then this person's over here, over here. And this person's crying, and they're hurt, and they're blogging, and they're sending cryptic tweets. And then this person over here doesn't get invited to the Halloween, or if you're a Baptist, harvest party. And so everyone's upset. And the next thing you know, it's WSAVs there reporting, well, Iodia and Syntyche. And all of it could have been avoided. If what? Yodia and Syntyche sat down, got a cup of coffee, and said, let's talk. Let's talk. Right? Look, we need to keep short accounts. Some of you are that guerrilla warfare jab here, passive aggressive here, boo. Some of you are that cold war boil resentment, and, and, and people might not even know that you offended. You're offended. You got to go to the person. Hey, you hurt, this hurt. I don't know if you intended it. This, this happened. Uh, t- please help me understand this. And the funny thing is, is that when you will go and do this, when you go resolve these conflicts, when you go and talk to people like this, you'll probably build a deeper relationship and become better friends with them. Because now there's a level of trust where, where you're just not this surfacey little, oh, everything's happy. You actually can trust that person because they're willing to tell you the hard thing. They're willing to say they pursue and care enough about that relationship that they're going to fight for it. There's a deeper level of trust. How, how, how did I hurt you? How, how can you help me understand why you feel this way? And don't pull in the past. Don't pull in the, Stick to the issue at hand. What is your desired outcome of this situation? How can we meet in the middle? Paul says. And all he's doing is he's saying the same thing Jesus already said. Right? Jesus said, Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, what do you do? Go to your brother. Right? Well, I'm just, I ain't going to that man. He's going to apologize first, and then I'll go talk to him. No, he says, if your brother sins against you, if your kid, if your spouse, if your boss, if anybody in this church sins against you, you go to them. And if he listens, you've won your brother. But he also says, Matthew 5, if you are at church offering your offering, and you remember, uh-oh, I did something to him. What does he say? You leave that offering there and you go make that right. 
And then you come back and you worship. Right? Both sides. Whether you are the wronger or you are the wrongy, Jesus says, you go. Right? That's, that's, that's how we deal with it. We don't run, we don't go recruiting, we don't go hedging our deal and making, bringing people to our team inside and building consensus. We go to the person. And if you say, I'm not going to do that, then you are in rebellion against Jesus. That's not me, that's Jesus. Sin. This is how we deal with it. It's hard. This is how we persevere in unity. And look, if you've got someone... At, when I say conflict, a face pops up, boop, in your mind. That person. And some of you, that's what happened. You got a face, you got an image, you got a person. You have a week. We're going to celebrate Lord's Table next week. Don't come in here next week still angry, still bitter. As much as you can, as much as it's up to you. Maybe they don't forgive you, maybe they don't whatever, but you go to them. Right? You go to them. It's your job. It's what you're called to do. Right? Don't, don't wait. Do it this week. Write the letter. Make the phone call. Whatever it is. But you need to do it. That's the first thing he says is the, the people involved, they're the ones that need to deal with it. Right? Second thing in this verse too. He says, I, I entreat Yodia, I entreat Sinski to agree in the Lord. Right? The second thing we do is we... Agree in the Lord, right? We agree. And what does that mean? Because uh, it could be kind of, you know, fluffy. It doesn't mean agree with everything everyone says. That's uniformity, right? Literally, the text means or says to be of the same mind. That's the Greek word, the verb there, agree in the Lord. To be of the same mind. It's a verb he's used like 10 times in this letter. He used it in chapter 3 where he says, this is what maturity thinks like. Probably one of the greatest uses is in chapter 2, verse 2, where he says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Having the same love. Being in full accord of one mind. There's, there's oneness. There's, there's unity of purpose there. Whatever this conflict was, it was keeping these two ladies from the main thing, from the main idea. It's pulling them away. Thought about this thing. What do, churches, what do people in churches fight about? I mean, if we dealt with if you're hurt and you know how to deal with that. But what do, we, how, what do churches fight about? They fight about theology, typically minor areas. Now, agreeing in the Lord means that on the big things, the things that are clear, the things that are the essentials, the orthodox things, we're going to agree, and we're going to fight for it. So we're going to fight for the gospel. We're going to fight for the inspiration of Scripture, for the deity of Christ, for the resurrection, for a literal heaven and hell. We're going to fight for these things because I think Scripture is absolutely clear. We're going to fight for marriage between man and woman. We're going to fight for the unborn because that's what Scripture teaches, the value of, of people made in the image of God. We're going to fight for those things, right? Because those are not something we invented. That's the Christians have believed for 2,000 years. But I'll tell you what we're not going to fight about. We're not going to fight about what type of schooling you choose for your children. We're not going to, we're not going to fight about uh, when the rapture is, I mean, you could be wrong, and we're right, but we're not going to fight about it. We're not going to fight on if you have a glass of wine with your fish or not, or what political party or spiritual gifts. We're not going to fight about it. Those are open-hand issues for us. On the staff, our staff, which is not that big, 
We don't even have complete agreement on all issues. Me and Kane are right, and we're trying to bring all these boys in. <laughs> Cleland's a little slow in some areas, but we're getting them. But we, don't, but we do have unity, and we have oneness, right? Because in the essentials, we're going we're gonna to be firm. We're not going to divide. But churches don't fight over those things. Churches fight over philosophical differences, how things should go. If you come here and you're like, I think that drums are from the devil. I'm going to ask you, number one, how did you find us? Who told you about our church? Because uh, they should have told you about the devil drums. <laughs> right? But that's, that can be your opinion. If you tell me, I think we, where's the handbell choir? We need the handbell choir. I'm going to tell you, no, we don't, with a smile on my face. If you say, Bill, I think you ought to wear a robe. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to wear a robe December 17th when I dress up as a Jedi for the opening of Star Wars. <laughs> and that's the only robe I'm going to wear. <laughs> okay? You say, where's the plate? Where's the invitation? You know what? It's not Christian. Look, those things are called preferences. And they're not wrong or right. It's just our personality. It's just who we are. And, and I'm not going to say that that church is wrong because this guy's in a robe. Or that church is wrong because they don't do the devil drums. I'm not going to say that because that's not biblical. It's preferences. You can have a church where everyone likes the same thing and everyone's of one political party and does the same kind of school and all the one demographic. And what you'll have is uniformity, but you know what else you're going to have? You're going to have legalism and you're not going to have a lot of joy. I guarantee it. I can tell you right now. It's just going to happen. And so we're not going to fight about the philosophical differences. If, it's, if it's not, Scripture is silent, we're not going to say, that's this. If Scripture speaks, we will speak because we believe in the Scripture. We're, because we're called to agree in the Lord. People are passionate about different things in fighting churches. And a church this size, we got folks that are passionate about this. And we got other folks that are passionate about this. And when that becomes the most important thing in their life, what ends up happening is people get hurt feelings. And I'm passionate about this good thing. I'm passionate about orphans. And I'm passionate about the homeless. And I'm passionate about singing. And I'm passionate about this. And he's not as passionate about this as I am. And so we, we have you know, resentment. And well, their team gets to do this. And I don't like the way their team's doing. And so we got the cross-culture team fighting with the singing team, fighting with the community groups, fighting with the with hospitality. Because they all have agendas. And they don't. I'm just using an example. Because some churches do. The decorating committee can't agree with the coffee committee on what color the creamer should be. And we got agendas, and it's because we're not keeping the main thing the main thing. And so when he says agree in the Lord, the idea is, is to keep the main thing the main thing. What is the most important thing? What are we supposed to be doing? What are we about? And as a church, all those things I mentioned, we do some of that. And those are good things. But that is not what we are about. Here's kind of how we've worded our, our mission based on what the scripture teaches. That we exist to glorify God by equipping people to follow Christ through community and the Bible. First statement is the most important. We exist to glorify God, not to meet my need, my desires, my preferences, nor yours. We exist to glorify God. If everyone has their own goal and their own agenda, there will be conflict in the church, at the office, at, at your house. But if everyone has the same orientation, a Christ-centered, gospel-centered orientation, we will put aside those things 
I'm telling you, if you're in your home and you are more interested in winning and being right, there's going to be conflict. And you may win and you may be right and there will be no joy and there will be no unity. But if you were remembering what the main thing is, what is the purpose of my marriage? What is the purpose of, of my office? What are these? Glorify God, glorify God, glorify God. Look, I, I just kind of did a quick eval. Most of the conflict in my life is not my fault. No, it, it, it is my fault because I'm selfish. Because you said something to me, not you specifically, but in, you in general said something to me that I didn't deserve. And it hurt my feelings and my ego was bruised because I don't deserve to be talked that way to that way. Everybody at the office is respectful. Everyone listens and you have, you're going to say this. It's my ego. My kids, you're not going to listen to me. You're seven. My ego. Right? It, it's, if, and if I would remember, wait, wait, wait. It's, my marriage is not about me. It's about modeling the gospel. It is about glorifying God. It's not about me. I'm to do nothing from selfishness, nothing from, from conceit. I am to look out for the interest of others. Have this mind, which is the same Greek word, which is in Christ. The model is Christ. That's what he did. Right? At some point, if, if conflict is going to get resolved, somebody's going to have to ask the question, what's the main thing here, y'all? What are we doing? Why are we fighting? Why am I shifting blame? Why am, why am I, you know, just trying to get out of everything? I mean, if just one of these ladies, if Yodia, if Sinsky, if just one of them would have said, what am I doing? This is silly. You know what would have happened? couple things, but number one, they wouldn't have gotten their names in the Bible forever. <laughs> forever. You go to heaven, you're going to be there like a zillion years. You're going to be oh, what's your name? I haven't met you before. I'm Yodia. D-Yodia? <laughs> oh, man. What was going on there? Right? Forever their names are written. Forever. If one of them just would have, what are we doing? Is this what Paul, is this what we did when Paul was here? So just some thoughts for you, just some thoughts. Separate what is true from what is your opinion. And you want to know what is true? When scripture is clear, it's true. And if it's not, then don't make it the most important thing. May be good for your family, may not be wrong, but don't make that the broad stroke for everybody, right? Here's a big one. And if you get nothing else out of this sermon, then get this. Be willing to ask for forgiveness. I was talking to one of my pastor buddies in town this week, kind of unpacking sermon. And he said, you can use me as an example, Bill, because in my nine years of ministry here in Savannah, he said, I can count on two hands how many times people have asked me to forgive I've asked for my forgiveness less than 10 times. He said, I'm either the least sinned against person in the world or we got a problem in the church. I would say we have a problem because those who have experienced grace and forgiveness ought to be asking for forgiveness right and left. You just should. 
I mean, that, that, that should be, we should be willing all the time to do this. You say, well, I'm not, I'm not the one that's wrong. And neither was Jesus. Most innocent person to ever walk the earth deserved nothing, no wrath. And he, he takes our guilt. He owns it as his own. So you can own the 2% that's yours, right? Look, and most, let's be honest. Those of you who are married, you get this. And those who have roommates or are dating, you really get this. Uh, most of the time when you offend, it's not purposeful. You just were being a man and you said something dumb. And you didn't even know it. And then you're like, what did I do? Right? How many times? Am I the only man? I mean, right. And it wasn't intentional. I wasn't sinning. I was just insensitive. And it'd be real easy to say, I did nothing wrong. My conscience is clear. That would be real easy. But what does the gospel say? No, I go. I go to the person. Look, I probably offend people weekly. I mean, last week I got the Baptist, Methodist, and the Presbyterians, and I insulted myself, for that matter. I mean, I, I'm an equal opportunity offender, but I can tell you this. My desire is never to hurt anybody, I promise you. And if I do, I, you know, you please come to me and I'll tell you that. I just want you guys to enjoy being here as much as I do, and so I'm going to be a little lighthearted most of the time. So, not that that's an excuse, but just I want this place to be a place of joy and laughter and worship. But I mean, we do it all the time. You got to be willing to say, look, I'm sorry. Kids, I'm sorry. Honey, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. Even if they're more wrong than you, someone's got to be the one that's going to obey Jesus and go. It's got to be us. Right? That's the model of Christ. Pray for the person. Not for their repentance, for their success. Hard to pray and be angry at the same person. Pray for you. Lord, remove bitterness. Don't let bitterness get a root. Don't let me turn into that guy that's just angry. Help me to honor you. If you're keeping the main thing, the main thing, this is going to happen in the church. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be. But we can handle it. We go to each other. We keep the main thing, the main thing. We press forward. And we don't give the enemy a foothold. That's what we do. Two more things real quick. Number three, sometimes you just need a referee. So get a referee, right? Sometimes you need help. What does Paul say? Verse three. Yes, I ask you also, true companion. He's talking to an individual in this church now. Not everybody. He said, I want you, true companion. Who the true companion is, we don't know. Maybe it's Timothy. Maybe it's Clement. Maybe it's one of the elders. Maybe it's one of the ladies. He doesn't tell us. But he, said, he assumes that these two ladies have been fighting so long they need help. They need a referee. They need a mediator. And you know what? Sometimes so do we. Sometimes we didn't need a mediator. We need someone to help. We need someone to put on the whistle, put on the striped jersey, and get in the middle and say, go. Stop. I read a story a pastor told this week about a counseling appointment he had. A woman came in his office and said, my husband grabbed my wrist. He said, oh, we can't have that happening. So he brings the husband in and says, did you grab your wife's wrist? He said, yeah, because she had a steak knife in it. And he's like, oh, <laughs> she, didn't, she didn't tell me that far. Okay. Sometimes you need the guy that's going to put on the jersey and grab the knife. Blow the whistle. Sometimes you need help. And here's what I want you to hear. It's not, that does not mean you're a failure, does not mean you're a loser, does not mean you're immature if you ask for help. It's probably the most mature thing you can do. 
just can't, you've been fighting, you've been on the couch for six months, you need to talk to somebody. Right? Because here, here's the reality in this church. We probably have 150 people, 100 people that need help, and about five of y'all are asking for it. Right? Five. And it's okay to not be okay. You need, if you need help, we got guys on staff. They, got, they look great in striped jerseys. Thompson looks great in striped jerseys. Tall, he looks like a referee, great referee. We got elders, we got staff, we got people in the church that are willing to, weep, willing to meet with you. Maybe you know someone. Hey, here's what you want to look for when you're looking for the referee. All right, a couple things. All right, number one, you want someone who is objective and mature. He is, they're objective. Your mom is not objective. All right? So you don't count. I'll tell that man what he needs to do. You are. Got to. <laughs> someone who's outside of it who will be neutral and say, this is what I see, this is what I see. Second thing you will look for is someone who's direct and open. They're not going to tiptoe around the issues. They're not, they're not going to be scared of offending or vague or confusing. They're going to be specific like Paul. Yodia, boom. Sentiki, boom. Agree. That's what you want. But yet, you still want something third that's, that's affirming. Paul's not slamming them. He is positive where he's available. He's not berating them. He's actually complimenting them. These are my fellow workers. They were side by side with me. So you, so you want to look for someone like that. And, and, and we love to help as your, as your church. That's why we're here. Right? And, and maybe you're the one that they're going to go to and say, hey, can you be the referee? You're like, I don't know what to say. So you know what you can tell them? Agree in the Lord. That's what you can tell them. Take him to chapter 2. Say, here, here's what I want you to do. Here's your homework. Read chapter 2, 1 to 11, every day for the next week. Think about it. Meditate on it. Right? Pray about it. And if they take seriously that passage where Jesus is modeling humility, not regarding equality with God, a thing to be grasped, emptying himself, taking on sin. If they take that seriously, if they take the gospel seriously, that which is so important will become less important. Right? Because they're keeping the main thing the main thing. That's what we do. Keep the main thing the main thing. Get a referee. Go to the person. And then last thing is this. Just remember who they are. When you are talking about believers, now these things apply to non-believers, so don't just think that we're talking, you only have to be sorry for believers. If it's a non-believer, that doesn't matter. This is applicable to all. But if they are a believer, you got to remember who they are. Right? What does he say about, about these people? He said, the rest of my fellow workers, all these fellow workers... Syntyche, Clement, uh, all of them, Yodia, their names are in the book of life. You say, what's the book of life? It's besides the scripture, it's the only book that matters. It is the book where the name, it's like God's family photo album, right? There's your picture there with big hair and all from the 80s. I mean, there you are. It's his, every person who ever has put their faith in Christ, his name is written in this book. These are the people who are on heaven's going to heaven list, Right? That they are, their names are there, and there is no erasers. Their name is there. And you may be thinking, well, how did that person get their name on the list? Because they certainly don't deserve it. Let me tell you how their name got written. Before the foundation of the world, God chose them, and he put their name on the list. Before the world was created, in eternity past, God wrote the name of his elect down in this book. His, he put them down. And you need to remember 
that, when you're so mad at that person that's in your community group, when you're so mad at that spouse, when you're so mad at that person, if they are in Christ, ask yourself the question, what, how does Jesus feel about this person? What did Jesus do about this sin that they are committing against me right now? And that should be a reminder, right? Oh, same thing he did with my sin. It's been well said, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. You're right, because God chose them. And it, look, you better, get, you better get used to these folks, y'all. You'll be spending a lot of years with them in, in, in eternity. You better watch it. God will put them next to you in heaven. But it, it's a shame to me that the norm in the church is discord. Praise God he's protected us. We're eight years in. We haven't seen it. I think it's because we work hard and pray hard and we, we, we teach scriptures and, and remind you. But I was talking to a pastor this week. It's a good pastor, good denomination in Florida. And he, he was telling me, and this is a conservative denomination. I mean, theologically, they, they are more uniform than probably unity. But he, he told me, he said, yeah, we, we were running about 180 people and now we're down to about 120. We had some discord. I'm like, what in the world happened that you lost one-third of your congregation, that one-third of the Christians in your church couldn't love enough to deal with this. That's the norm. And y'all know it because some of y'all came from this kind of thing. It's a shame it should be, it's the norm. Right? It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. Before we came to Christ, Paul says, hey, we were hating people and we were hated by people, right? That's what he says in Titus 3.3. But then in verse 4 he says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. God showed us mercy. He saved us from being a hater and a hated person. And now what he's done is he's taken people that are nothing like each other, that normally would not hang out with each other, that wouldn't be with each other, and he's given us the affection of Christ. And that is should be the norm, right? That should be the norm. Let, don't let it be otherwise. We've seen the enemy and he is us. We don't have to be. Not if we will go to each other and, and talk to each other. Not if we'll keep the main thing, the main thing. Not if we'll get help when needed. And not if we'll remember who we are. We are family. We are brothers and sisters. So if you've got a letter to write this week, if you've got a phone call to, to make, don't, don't hold off. If you need a referee, we'll help you. We'll talk with you. But don't put it off. What, what a horrible thing for the world to see. Christians, they don't like each other. What a horrible testimony. Right? We don't want to be that. We want to guard against it. And if we're going to guard against it, you've got to guard against it. So what we're going to do is we're going to worship and, we, and, and Ethan said it well earlier. We don't just pick songs just to like, ah, oh, I like that song, let's do that. Boop. I do that when I listen to Journey, not when we pick songs for the church, okay? We, we choose and pray through songs that will come alongside the word and facilitate what we're teaching. And the first song we're gonna sing is just a song that affirms what we believe as Christians. This is what makes us one. It's our common faith, it's our common creed. And so what we're gonna do is have 700 people stand up and sing the same thing that we believe that makes us one. 
for you guys from the north and you guys from the south and you guys from a different country and you guys from this demographic and you guys with this passion and I hate the drums and I love the drums and I raise my hand and I think you're crazy when you raise your hand and I love flannel and I do love flannel and whatever the, the background that we come together under the common creed and faith of who Christ is and what he's done. And so we're going to sing that and a couple other songs and we're going to worship. So stand with me as we do so. Jesus, we love you, not as much as we should, but we love you. Make us one. That is what you prayed. And so I pray that you would make us one as you and the Father and the Spirit are one. I pray uh, as we worship and we with just delight sing these things that you would be glorified. Please, oh, oh God, if there's someone in this room who needs to go to someone, give them the courage to do so. If they need our help, give us the wisdom to guide whatever Lord, when the enemy will attack in this area, I know he will, because he has been for 2,000 years. Help us to be on guard, to resist the devil, so that he might flee. Thank you for your goodness in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.